the Saxinian family presents Let's Rage Coup, streaming on the Houston Roundball Review YouTube channel. Hey, hey, it's Andy Arns, and you're you're listening to another episode of Let's Rage Coops, presented by the Saxonian family. Joining me here, James Mueller of the Daily Cougar. James, we are coming off one crazy game. The Houston Cougars overcame a 19-point deficit in the fourth quarter to come back and get their third win of the season. Joining us as well, Dan Dunlap. First of all, how are, how are you two doing? Still trying to process what just happened. Yeah. Oh, my God. A crazy game. They were down 19. They were down 26 to 7, and they somehow they, – they willed a victory. They pulled it out of thin air. And, uh, I mean, where can we start? There's so many places where we can start. Dan, I'll toss it over to you. Um, just initial reaction from that game. What a comeback. Um, what a comeback. I mean, ugly to watch the first – most part of the game was the, <laughs> the first three quarters. The first three quarters, the first almost first full first full whole game, except what the lags five the last six, thirteen minutes. minutes. Yeah, thirteen yeah. minutes, whatever it was. Man, um just what a comeback. Complimentary football. We talked about it the other day. Um defense coming up with stops, offense and special teams, um, making plays. Man, it, w- w- what a game, what a comeback. James, what about you? What were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I wrote about it earlier this week, but just last year, a bunch of the ways they won games were because of special teams. Marcus Jones making some incredible plays. Tonight, you know, you get that Jace Rogers return after Memphis seems to get that momentum back, um, you know, that quick touchdown there. And then Kyle Ramsey, who's probably the biggest unsung hero of the game, you know, hasn't played, comes in, obviously converts the extra points, but just executes a perfect on-site kick just with perfect bounces to even give UH the chance. Um, you saw those special teams step up, and then also you saw, you know, that Clayton tune from the fourth quarter in overtime against UTSA. Uh, this was a different type of tune than we've been seeing in the in the past weeks. Uh, with, like, three minutes left, that fourth and 11, he should have been sacked, scrambles out of that. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 he willed them to a win as well. No, absolutely. And you bring up a great point. I think another unsung hero is Christian Trahan, who, I mean, we, we talked about in our previous shows how really had disappeared from the offense. They weren't even targeting him. We kind of saw that during last week's game um, where they started to target him a little bit more. He had a couple of drops. And in this game, he was much more cleaner. He had five catches, 73 yards. And he's the one that actually came up with that onside kick. Uh, which was huge. And I think overall, just big props to the Houston Cougars because, man, uh, whenever they started that rally, and and I probably rewrote my story for Gallery Sports three different times um, with the way the game ended out, just they continue to keep scoring. Jace Rogers, who early in the game, he had that big pass interference. I believe he was called for pass interference on first, first mm-hmm. drive of the game for Memphis, uh, which led to them being able to drive down the field and score a touchdown on their first drive. And, and, he had that spark. He had that 100-yard kickoff that you lose it to, James. And really, just overall, it, it, I think it's impressive, the, the fight that they showed. For me, um, That even had they not won, it would have shown that this team is, is still very, very invested in the season. Now they just continue to fight, and they were able to pull off the, the stunning victory. And now 
now honestly they might have just saved their entire season it might have just changed the entire complexion now they're going to be heading into their bye week and kind of a coincidence that they won 33 to 32 now their record is three and three they're one and one in the american athletic conference and they get a chance to have the bye week to kind of settle down and, and kind of have a soft reset which is really going to be huge yeah for sure and um just going off that uh you saw the relief. I think Andy, you tweeted about it. Just Holgerson and Doug Belk just hugged. See that. Um, and one other crazy thing I wanted to bring up. Um, credit to Steve Helwick of Underdog Dynasty for pointing this out. But in 2014, 2015, and 2017. Uh, Memphis held double-digit leads in 2014, 2015 going into half. Houston held a double-digit lead in 2017 going to half. All three of those times, those were blown leads. So we saw another one. It's yeah. just like. Some this trend is just crazy with Houston and Memphis. We see it in basketball and football. I mean, I don't know. What a rivalry between Houston and Memphis. I would love to see the rivalry continue, but I mean, it was much of what it was from last week as far as Clayton Toon having time to throw the ball early, not hitting receivers, not throwing them open, being antsy in the pocket, not stepping up, and then all of a sudden. He started to make plays and started to make throws. And we've been saying, well, I've been saying this from a quarterback with his experience and the, the talent that he's shown in moments. I mean, give your receivers an opportunity. You see the numbers from um, the, the Browns, the Trey Hands, the Tanks, the Matthew yeah. Golden. You see everyone, um, have, like I said just the other day on a podcast, that all those players have talent. You got to give them chances to make plays. And he did that, and they, they made a ton of plays. One of the biggest plays of the game was when Toon scrambled out and threw it back across the field and Tank went up and catched to keep the drive alive. Man, it was just every every player contributed to this win and made play after play after play on offense and defense. I mean, situational football, they stepped up. The so, some um, Everyone needed to make plays. The running game was effective enough for early in the game to have to abandon it because – they got behind and they had to throw the ball. But, man, the defense stepped up and Clayton Toon got it done when they needed to get it done the most. Absolutely. And I think that the other key point right there, um, the defense, they – and I have a comment right here, first of all, by in Orbita. They just mirrored that the Cougars commit less penalties today than before. No, you are right on the money. They committed the least amount of penalties they have all season. They were only called – for seven penalties that were accepted against them for 77 yards. It's still, still a pretty uh, significant number, but overall, three of those seven penalties came in the first quarter, and Houston overall was able to do a much better job of cleaning it up after the first quarter. And what I was going to say in terms of the defense, they gave up those 14 points in the first quarter to Memphis, but I feel like they did a really, really good job, especially in the second and third quarters, of holding Memphis to, I think they only hold them to six points total for that second and third quarter. Uh, you start got, especially towards the beginning of the fourth quarter, it seemed like the defense was starting to get a little tired because um, the offense had struggled in that third quarter. But, I mean, give props to them. They were able to bend but not break. They held Memphis to just field goals after that first touchdown in the fourth quarter. And, and give props to them because if Memphis can drive down the field and put it away, it wouldn't have mattered what whatever Houston had been able to do on offense late. Yep, held them to a field goal. The defense, um, like much of the season, has played well enough for Houston to win. It's like last game. I think they played – well enough in Houston to win, and um, appreciate you for, for joining them. Miles is a very good, ugly, very ugly overall. Still looked a mess, but three jobs. But yeah, man, 
the defense played well enough to win just like last week. And this week the offense was able to make enough plays. And like to Brandon Campbell's comment last week where he said they play, they seem to play their best with their back, backs up behind the wall. And, man, did they. And I think that's what we need to see more of from an offensive philosophy perspective. Simple things down, less huddle, get back to the line of scrimmage, and run hurry-up offense to a – to. I don't know. It just seems to work better um, philosophy-wise when they're up tempo. Clayton is getting the ball out of his hands quick. He had a ton of time all day to make throws. Um, I, and so the offensive line played well. It's just finally he started making throws down the field, and receivers, they made plays. And also adding on to your point about the defense, credit to the defense for, I mean, 18 seconds. You never know with this Houston defense. So, you know, <laughs> come up with that game – uh, at Eli- Elias Bell coming up with that, you know, sack to seal the deal. Um, you know, Memphis just needed a field goal to win. So, yeah, that's another, like, you know, encouraging point for them, you know, knowing just getting that taste of knowing that they can get that stop when it matters most. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably the the bigger thing, that the defense was able to, to end the, the game with a sack. And then it's, again, it, going back, it's been the story of the entire season where they've been in similar situations for, I think this is now the fifth out of the six games they've played that came, literally came down to the final possession of the game. And it, it's big by Elias Bell. He was able to, to bring on, bring down Seth Hannigan. And, and really it kind of showed what he said um, during his, his weekly availability where he said it, it, a lot of it had to do with execution and being able to finish play. That's something that Doug Belt himself too. And, and Homerson himself mentioned out the emphasis all week execution, having a good start, having a good finish. Houston didn't have a good start in this game, but they were certainly able to finish. And uh, going back to something that Brandon Campbell said after the end of, of last week's loss to Tulane, for whatever reason, whenever this team has their back against the wall, it seems to, to be when they're at their best. And again, there's still a lot to clean up. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's, there's, uh, there were a lot of mistakes um, just overall whenever you're in a 26-7 hole. But I think right now a much-needed win and certainly has a lot of fans excited. Um, and a comment that I believe it was Miles that said it, where it, it's just a flash of, again, going back to the theme of the season, it's there in flashes, which is probably what makes a lot of the, the struggles that they've had more frustrating for Houston fans because they show right there the potential that they have been of being you know, dominant team, a dominant team. Um, they just haven't been able to, to keep it together for a majority of games. But at the end of the day, that's probably the reason why they're at 3-3 three and three and one, one in conference play because of that inconsistency all, all season long. Yeah, for sure. Uh, or were you going to say something else, Andy? Or... No, go ahead. One thing I wanted to bring up and just get everyone's thoughts on as well was just tonight was, I think, the best job in terms of spreading the ball around. You look at the stats. Obviously, oh, Keith Carter came up huge with some um, big plays at the you know tail end of the game. But Sam Brown, nine catches, 116 yards. Christian Trahan, like we already mentioned, five for 73. Golden, four for 55. I mean, it was more – Tune had more reliable options this time instead of just having to go to tank. And so that's another thing we've been hearing about, you know, the receiver depth all season, but we really haven't seen it that much outside of a few plays here and there. So tonight I feel like that's another thing that just major that stood out to me a lot. And I want to get y'all's thoughts on that as well. Dan, you can take it through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of a little bit just talked about it. I agree. That stood out to me and I put it more on the emphasis of Clayton Toon. I mean, 
I think they've been having that ability to make those plays. I just think it's on him to give them the spread the ball around and put them in a position to make plays. And to his own admission, um, they said during the broadcast that Clayton, too, one of the things he said was he has to do a better job of giving them more opportunities to make plays, even if they don't have much separation or they aren't just wide open. And, and so I think um, they did a great, great job of doing that and a great job of play calling to do that, not just so tank um, focused and, t- and take focused on getting him the ball, which rightfully so you should. He's so good and so electric. You want to get him the ball, but sometimes you need to get other receivers established a rhythm and, and establish that they are a threat to open up tank and some of the other offense. I think Tristan Trahan, he was a really, really big key. I think in this game, I know he had five catches for 73 yards, but the the timely catches that he made hit the run after catch it was very very impressive and brown he really looked like a solid receiver he had plenty plenty of um chances and he made plenty of plays and so did golden so did carter everyone pretty much made the play when they got when they got their number called and i think the offensive line we have to give them credit because um, called them out when they had the hold, holding penalties and all the penalties that they've had, but they gave Clayton plenty of time to go through all his reads, all his options, and make throws down the field. And it, when he didn't have it open, he scrambled out, made some plays. But in the end, I think the offensive line has served credit because he he had time to make plays. I think he could have easily thrown for 500 yards if he would have played like this for all four quarters instead of throwing – 60 passes and just over 350 yards. I mean, kudos to him, but I think it's still more offense left out on the field in which they can do more. And on that note, I want to bring the attention to the banner you see there in the, um, my left-hand corner, <laughs> in the very corner right there, uh, Hoop and Holler, one of our other sponsors of the show. Obviously, we want to be, give a big shout-out to the Saxonian family for being the primary sponsor of the show. Also, Hoop and Holler, the Houston Semi Collective, uh, big news when it comes to NIL and the University of Houston on Friday, September 7th, with the official launch of Lincoln Cougs, the full NIL Collective was launched today. And on that note, we'll bring in Justin Barbosa and Akib Ghazi. Um, first of all, guys, how are y'all doing after that crazy game? Man, can y'all hear me? First of all, yes, sir, you are good. Man, what a game. Uh, I, I, I mean, I was very close to turning it off in the fourth <laughs> quarter, I'll be honest. Like, it, the score was, what, 26 to 7 in the fourth with, like, 14-something yeah. left in the game. And, like, like I'll be I'll be completely honest. Like, I was about to turn it off, and then uh, we get a quick touchdown. And then from there on, I think we end up scoring four four touchdowns in a row on, on four consecutive drives, which is, like, that's kind of the Clayton tune. I'll be honest. That's the Clayton tune that we we saw. Obviously, it was a plethora of things like with the special returns, with the uh, with the hundred yard kick return, um, among other things. But you know, Clayton tune. He played the way that we thought you know he would play leading up to this season. Justin, I'll toss it over to you. What were your overall takeaways of that game? Yeah, man, after that first half, I was switching between the Cougars and the Rockets game, but uh, I was glad the Cougars were able to pull it off. Um, yeah, just what Akib said, he looked like the Clayton Tuna last year, just patient in that pocket, looking for his receivers. And Dayon said it earlier, he had a lot of time in that pocket, and especially these last two weeks, I want to give credit to the offensive line. They've been a lot better, not as much penalties. 
and tune with a lot of time, able to find his receivers. And what a game from Samuel Brown. I mean, this this looked like the Dana offense that uh, we recognized from West Virginia in the time when he was with Houston as an offensive coordinator. I mean, got to give credit to him and the staff. I mean, they looked much better those last two drives. And my question for y'all is, do you do y'all think Dana took over to play calling those last two drives? You know, Justin, that's a great question. I was literally – it was going through my head. I was just thinking about it. Um, and certainly, it would be something interesting to see with Horace and Seth's postgame, and we're still waiting for UHF legs to hopefully send that video in before we um, have to close things out. But um, I think – I wouldn't be surprised. It, it, there, it, there was definitely a shift in terms of how Houston was play calling that in that fourth quarter. and. To be honest, some of it probably had to do that they were down 19 points. They might as well try to do whatever you could um, to try to, to claw your way back. But I think there were still flashes of there. I mean, uh, I can't remember what exactly the drive it was. I think it was the, the second-to-last offensive drive for Houston where they were on a third and 10, and they called the draw for Stacy Sneed, which went nowhere. Um, and it set up that fourth and 10 for, for Clayton Toon, which, I mean, props to Toon because he – he pulled something out of thin air with that play. It looked like he was going to get sacked probably two or three different times. Um, he fought through Memphis defenders, and then he came the second wave of defenders, and he still found a way to uh, avoid them and, and somehow get to the sticks to pick up the first down and keep that drive alive. And then he did it again a couple plays later when it was a fourth and seven. He found Tank Dell, and that's the play where they, it ended up into a, a Keyshawn Carter touchdown right before the – I can't remember if it was – I'm pretty sure it was right before the, the onside kick, which, again, just overall, had the game ended there, I think that would have shown they have fight. And then the onside kick happens um, to be able to keep composure, to go drive down the field and, and score another touchdown. Um, it shows big props to Clayton Toon for being able to, to – again, that's, that's one of those plays that – at the end of the day, again, like James said, going back to the UTSA game, he just put the team on his shoulders and decided to make a play out of that, something and carry the team to, to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been saying like all season, uh, the, um, just want to interject real quick that I think that we needed to be more in like a hurry up type offense. So that's what I saw tonight for sure. Yeah, there's definitely the offense clicks into a different gear when you see some urgency. Um, I did see, obviously, first quarter was still a problem, but they did take a few, not like major shots, but they did, you know, first play of the game through 15 yards down the field. So there was some improvements in that, um, but you'd like to see that urgency and aggressiveness more from the start because, like we've seen, they've been able to score points in a hurry in most of their games, uh, you know, down the stretch of things um, when they're, you know, forced to go fast. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely don't disagree. I think, you know, trying a more up-tempo offense, showing some more aggressiveness um, just out of the gates could be uh, a quick fix to those first quarter problems. And then, you know, maybe you don't find yourself in these positions where you're down 17, maybe you're up 17, just having to protect the lead. Yeah. Real quickly, Dan, before before you, you uh, make your point, I want to give a huge shout-out to Juan Miranda right there for being a supporter of the show. Um, great comment by him. Appreciate y'all having the post-game discussions. Fourth quarter, Dana is the coach we hired in need. Dana's positivity today, just from the clip I saw, was a big change in my opinion. I hope he continues to evolve here at Houston. Go Cougs. And once again, big props to Juan Miranda for supporting the show right there. 
um, as you see it on the screen, a $19, a $20 donation um, to the show, which helps us to keep going. So we appreciate you, Juan. Uh, Dan, I'll toss it over to you. What were you going to say, sir? Now, I was just going to say, man, I think that the defense deserves a lot of credit for this comeback. I know the offense will get a bunch of the glory, but we have to give the defensive credit. One of the last drives that come to mind when they held Memphis to a field goal, we still kept it at a two-possession game at that time. I think it was at 16, if my memory is certain correctly. But just all the stops that they got to able to keep the offense um, with a chance to keep the game alive, keep the game alive, and then finally finish in the game. I mean, I, I think the defense deserve a bunch of the credit for this win. And, and um, they they played – they gave up a lot of big – a few big plays, a couple trick plays, but overall – They've been playing winning football for the majority of the football games. It's just a stat that Andy found um, later in the week is how Houston is outscoring opponents in the fourth quarter. And, I mean, once again, they just struggle lighting in the bottle in the fourth quarter. But, man, the defense has to get a, a bunch of credit um, because I know the offense is going to get their glory, but the defense is really, really held there and special teams. Yeah, absolutely. The special teams was the – that that was <laughs> We're not going to talk about the bubble. Yeah. That's a, a missed field goal that that went, missed way wide left, and uh, I believe cool. it even missed the net. Um, I think any of us could have kicked it a little bit. Man, I mean, I I'm not a you know I play a little soccer, but I feel like I don't know how you miss it that bad. I've seen some missed kicks. I won't go that far because whenever it was the Super Bowl in 2017 yeah. and they had that NFL access, they, I did try to kick it. It's much harder than it looks. It is, it it is. not nah, definitely, um, definitely. But, but as if you're yeah, if you're yeah, a college overall. kicker, college kicker, you can't miss like that badly. I don't, I don't, I didn't exactly see how how that yeah, that was ridiculous. Play King, uh, King Donzer makes a great point. Uh, well, I believe when I saw the, the replay, it did look like yeah, the uh, laces were facing towards. Um, which obviously affects the kick a lot. Uh, it was a it was a very odd kick the way it ended up uh, happening. But at, sticking to that play and that drive specifically, uh, it was a bit of an interesting call by uh, whoever the play caller is, whether that was Dana Horson um, and the rest of the coaching staff. They had five seconds left in the game, um, or five seconds left in the first half. They were inside Memphis's five yard line. Five seconds. They had just dumped off a pass to Christian Trahan. They had, taken seven seconds um and they opted to not try to to score for a touchdown they settled for a field goal which um like we just talked about resulted in, in it being wide left um what do you guys think about that play call right there especially in that moment it certainly felt like houston should have been more aggressive and, and at least tried for a field goal uh touchdown whether it was or maybe taking a 50 50 ball to one of your receivers if if you see anyone in single coverage, kind of like we saw with Sam Brown in one of the two-point conversions earlier. Yeah, I can take that first. Uh, I, I think they should have. I think Andre Ware did an outstanding job calling the game, breaking yeah. down plays, breaking down replays, giving explanations. Um, and I think in, in that moment, he explained it correctly. They could have threw a play, would have went three or four seconds and still had a second or two to attempt a field goal. So I think they, without a doubt, should have been aggressive and, and tried to throw the ball in the end zone. Yeah, I, I was surprised too. Just given Dana's history, like I think back to like one of the defining plays of Dana's head coaching career. I forget if it was like 2017 or 2018, but when he was with West Virginia and they scored late against Texas and went for two with Will Greer, scored that to win the game. 
like, I just think of him as an aggressive guy. So I figured they would, you know, throw a quick slant or a little fade or something. Cause worst case scenario, as long as Toon gets the ball out of his hands right away, uh, you know, they have one second left and you still get the field goal. Um, but that, it also brings up a point. I, I probably think that Dana's going to stick with Kyle Ramsey as the place kicker now for at least for a little while. Um, because, you know, the, his, both his extra points were straight down the middle. And then obviously, I mean, they're not going to onside kick a bunch, but I mean, it was as perfect, perfect as it could get. I think he proved that, you know, he deserves a shot out there. Yeah, absolutely. I can, before, before you go, uh, I do need to give a shout out to Ben Moore as well, who, um, for, for helping us out with the show, being a supporter of the show with his two dollars there, we need to replace the kicker and the holder. Um, they did replace, like we just alluded to the kicker and, and Kyle Ramsey and James. I think you make up a great point, especially going back to training camp. Um, some of the stuff that Dana Overson said where Kyle Ramsey and Bubba Baxa would, that, that kicking competition went deep into training camp. And for much of uh, what Overson told us during the training camp availability, it was neck and neck between the two. Um, and Bubba Baxa was just able to, to, to get the advantage over uh, Ramsey. But I agree with you, James, that he looked real good in terms of his extra points that were right down the middle. Um, and I'll give toss it over to you. Uh, where are you about to say? Yeah, I was just gonna, you know, jump off of that. What James was saying about the with the with the kicker, I think it was uh, Kyler Ramsey, right? So he, mm. it's it's interesting that that late in the game, you make a kicking switch, and then it wasn't even just it wasn't like on a field goal. I, I could see maybe if it was like a 30, 40 yard field goal, we switch kickers, or we elect to like not, you know, kick a field goal and we go go for it or something, but. To make a kicking change like that late, that doesn't typically happen. And just on an extra point, too. So I think it was like he kicked two extra points, correct? So, mm-hmm. And then he kicked the onside, which is like the onside kick was perfect. The bounce was perfect. We even actually touched the ball a couple of times before it, it landed, <laughs> which is like, yeah. uh, thank God, you know, <laughs> that landed in, in uh, I think it was, who's, whose hands was it? I think it was it Golden? The one you recovered? Yeah. Trey. Yeah, yeah. Trey. So. Yeah, so I mean, we had a we had we we touched it, we touched the ball even before that, but yeah, but anyways, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I felt like he just um, Coach Holgerson just decided like things needed to change, even as small as like a kicking change that that kind of changed the outcome of you know of this game for sure. An- another um, uh, adjustment was putting Jace Rogers back at kick return because it was Sawyer yeah. for the first half. And so that's another special yeah. team adjustment that was made that you got a good credit to because we saw the effect that Rogers have on the kick return that he had. And, and we, yeah. James, Dan, I, I have a question. I guess it's for around the panel. Um, they did attempt two onside kinks, and I can't remember uh, what's was Baxter the one that kicked the first? I'm trying to go back and look. Yes, um, I'm pretty sure it was. And that one was with, questionable because it was like seven minutes left, and they had you had all three timeouts. Um, oh, I which mean, it, it only went seven yards too. Yeah, I, and it, it, yeah, I desperate uh, to recover. Yeah, I'm trying to go back to the plays, but I mean, honestly, that might have been what resulted in in the change at kicker because, yeah. Um, Good point. I mean, that yes. onside kick didn't look good either. Uh, and I'm trying to find the place. I can't find it. I've, I'll, I'll bring it up if I can. But overall, um, and obviously the kind of the story of the season when it comes to, to injuries uh, for Houston, they were without one of their lead running backs and Tejon Henry. And when you look at the rushing numbers for Houston overall, Brandon Campbell 
finished uh, as the leader um, in rushing for Houston, 53 total yards on 12 carries. Stacy Sneed uh, was second with 24 yards on just four carries. Clayton Toon, only the third leading rusher for Houston. And a couple of some other stats uh, for Houston overall on the night. Clayton Toon was only sacked once. Uh, the Cougars did have or did have seven tackles for Lasco against them. Uh, but I think that was, like you alluded to, like we alluded to at the beginning of the show, um, Clayton Toon, there were a lot of moments when he had a lot of clean, uh, he had a lot of time to be able to throw. And that's kind of, again, going back to some of the frustrations early on and the interception that he threw, um, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a pressure pass. He had all day to throw, but it was just him locking in on Tank Dell. And it's something that might be uh, trying to find the comment. Jeff Perdue said, we're called out so much stuff during the game, during the broadcast. And damn, like you mentioned it, immediately after he threw the pick, Andre Ware was right on it, where Toon had locked in, had locked on Dell that entire play, and, and he still threw it. Um, and the defensive back for Memphis read it all the way and was able to come away with the pick. Yeah, that was an ugly, ugly, ugly interception right there. That was like, that was, I was, one more of those, I would have been like, please, can we come for somebody else? <laughs> but, hey, he turned it around, we got the, the victory. But it's often plays like that. We had a bunch of time, whether he didn't step up in the pocket or he'll step outside to the right. They give you defense time to close in on him and not allow the play to continue to develop and and so, I mean, his pocket awareness has to improve. Fifth-year senior, I expected more, so I can only speak for me in my opinion. I mean, when I give him credit for closing out the game and getting a victory, but much of that game, I didn't see much of nothing to, to write home about, nothing to brag about from the quarterback position. But I will give him his credit. I mean, you make the plays that you need to make to get the win, and he did that, whether it's running the football, throwing the football, doing whatever it takes, putting his body on the line. I give him credit for doing that, but most of that game, it was ugly. And the running game was effective to an extent. The running backs average, almost average, about five yards a carry. They just get behind so much that you have to have to abandon the run and you have to get past happy just to try to stay in the game. And so it's not like the running game isn't effective. I think it could be more effective on situational football and short down, especially goal line. You got to be able to, to move. Um, the winning line of scrimmage and be able to run the football in. I will say they should have been able a better job of doing that because those goal line stands was something that Houston hurt them, but they were able to overcome it. But that's something they can't have. Yeah. And speaking on the running game, Brandon Campbell, he finished with 53 yards. 34 of those came on that one long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. To, uh, so there's got to be improvements there because, like you said, you can't have the ball at Memphis's four and one and come away with zero points out of all the, uh, you know, in two drives. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Justin, I'll give you have anything uh, to add before we move on to, to another segment. Yeah, that interception by Tune was really bad. He had all the time in the world in that pocket in that play. Like, he probably had at least eight, nine seconds, and he, he just forced it to Dell. I've been I've been trying to you know I want to I don't want to say defend Clayton Tune because like there's not much to defend about his play this season but like I think after that interception you know Dayon I think he's been speaking gospel this whole uh, this whole season like because I, I I mean fifth year senior I want it you know I'm trying to rock with Clayton Tune he's our guy he looked like it the first game. And then since then, his I mean, he today he threw for like over 350, 350 yards. 
Yeah, he threw for 366 yards passing, but it still wasn't even close to like his best game of the season. And we're already through what six games now. And it took him attempts to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And his, his accuracy has been shot, so I don't know what's what's going on with him. Well, we'll we'll leave it on that, and we'll talk more about Quentin Tuna on the other side. But um, we'll do a tease. Did the Houston Cougars just save, at the very least, I guess the big question, did they just save Dana Homerson's job, which was a little bit – there was a lot of more noise after this week. But certainly that they just save the job of certain coaching staff members on the Houston staff. We'll talk more about that on the other side of this break. Um, give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Star Pizza Houston, as we're about to listen to one of your commercials. So I'm going anywhere you're listening to Let's Rage Coops presented by the Saxonian family. Hey, what'd you order? Oh, pizza and tea. Shouldn't it be ready by now? We'll get the lunch special. Never get tired of those commercials. Uh, once again, big props to Star Pizza and big props to Hoop and Honor Houston, the Houston Semi Collective, the entity behind those Star Pizza commercials. Um, I have a feeling that Hawk, Big Hawk, had a very, very exciting. Uh, uh, end to that game just in terms of how it ended off I just, actually i just saw a clip where he looked very excited after the conclusion of that game uh, but now it's time to pay off the segment i guess we'll go around the table um and i'll start with you down do you feel like the cougars uh the players the way they rallied just saved a lot of jobs maybe not a lot of jobs at least one job um when it comes to the coaching staff before I answer that, I'm looking at this stat. It said the first 11 drives, Houston had 64 plays, 277 yards. Last two drives, they had 18 plays for 126 yards. That's crazy. But, um, I mean, I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think this one game was very save um, the job per se. Um, like I said on the podcast, I expected the players to come out and compete. Because when you step on the football field, it's about pride. And so I didn't expect them to come out and lay down. I expected them to compete all four quarters, and they did that. And so I don't think so. Um, I think if anything, it's it's a win that you like. See, this is what it could be. Like, like why are we not getting this more? And so I don't. I don't think it it, it saved his job more, longer than it would have anyway. James, I go to you next. No, there's no one win that's going to save his job. Um, I know earlier in the – I can't remember if it was this week or last week, uh, the Houston Chronicle reported how, you know, as long as they show some improvement throughout the season, Vertita uh, is planning on giving him at least one more year. So I think, obviously, you see some steps there, but I don't think, you know, if they lost this game or anything, that was going to change much. Um, but it's it's a it's a big win for the program, and – like like you said, it can propel them in the right direction going into the bye week and heading into the second half of the season. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I don't think it saves his job after one game. He's got to show a lot more within the next few games coming up. But, you know, this game was uh, – definitely could have lost this one, and this seat would have been really hot. And I know 
there's probably some stuff going on behind the scenes, you know, that we don't see. But like I said early in the week that, uh, you know, he's going to be the coach for the foreseeable future. But I don't really believe that so far. I mean, I believe there's probably stuff going on behind the scenes, especially if things get worse throughout the season. But uh, I don't think, you know, this one game that's not going to cut it. He's going to probably go on a winning streak and, uh, you know, in the in the season on a big note going into next year. But I just don't see it right now. But if they lose the next couple of games, uh, it, it's still pretty hot. That seed is. Uh, and I could, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. Um, and I get, I'll change it. Well, Hogerson specifically, do you feel like it could have saved the job? And if not, if you, well, I'll let you answer there. Now I was going to say, it, I think it just bought him some time though, for sure. Um, and this, I, I probably, I can't disagree with anything that's been said. Like it's, it's it wasn't going to affect him. Um, but definitely, I think it bought him some time, like an extra game. But he wasn't. I don't think he was going to get let go until after the season, unless they had like if they had a horrid, horrible season, which right now what they're three and three, like they can turn things around. I think if you if they squeeze out a bowl game, I think his seat is a little colder to say. Like even though we had high expectations, I think a bowl, at this point, like a bowl game is enough for him to keep his job. I think um, overall, and Dan, James, I agree with, with both of you. I, I would It would have been really hard to see Hogerson, Houston move on from Hogerson at all, especially um, like the, the report you alluded to, James, by the Houston Chronicle, where um, Tillman Fertitta was the one, the name behind it, that he was in full support of Dana Hogerson. And that, that at the end of the day, we've talked about it in previous episodes, that's what speak ball, speaks the most volumes. If you have Tillman Fertitta and the administration behind you, um, you're pretty set um, when it comes to, to being at the University of Houston. I think um, arguably what did happen, well, I could have seen changes coming had they, when they were down 26-7, and it was an, that's going to be a turning point of the season, in my opinion. Uh, it, had they stayed down 26-7, just let Memphis run away and hide, um, we would have been a, a much different tone in this game. And maybe, I, I still don't think they would have necessarily moved away from Hogerson, but I think we could have been much more likely to see some type of change, uh, especially when it comes to assistant coaches, in my opinion, that's not behind any intel, just had, had they kind of let go of the rope. Um, and the way Houston was able to fight back and, and, and rally, I think it shows, one, that the locker room is still heavily invested in this coaching staff and all uh, of their voices, which is huge uh, for them. And yeah, overall, I don't know we can say that as far as them being invested in the coaches' voices, uh, specifically Hogerson, because of the way that – that's why I say pride and – competitive juices. When you step out on the field, you ain't thinking about, oh, I'm not going to play hard because of the coach. you just trying to go out and compete. Yeah, I, I agree. I can see that point, but I think more so, um, I think it would I think it would have spoken volumes had it gone the other way, and it, it would have really looked bad, and I think it would have put it a ton more pressure uh, in the administration to force, uh, if it's not necessarily Hoverson, at least force um, someone on his staff to, to at least kind of take the brunt of it, in my opinion, not just mm-hmm. overall with this win here. It certainly cools things down a lot. Now, granted, they're 3-3 three and three for all. We know they could end up going 3-9 um, and nine the rest of the way um, for the season, which I, I highly doubt, but um, it, that could be something <laughs> that ends up happening. I highly doubt that happens, and I think the way that the players showed out 
to me that I think that's much more in the positive direction for Houston. Um, but um, it's and it's a start. And I'll be curious to see that they have the bye week and something, James. You were there when Horvison mentioned it that they were going to take the bye week to assess a lot of things and evaluate where they are. Hogerson said he likes to evaluate all the time, but kind of by week again, going back to, to the term I used during our podcast was um, kind of use it as a soft reset and kind of assess what went well, what went wrong and trying to, at the end of the day, they, Dan, you like to say this phrase often, but you, they are what their record says they are. And 500 is perfect for this team because they've been, inconsistent they've had good flashes they've had bad flashes um to take a line from doug belt they've had ugly flashes uh, both on offense defense and on special teams and, and now it's going to be up to, to the entire team to be able to figure out a way to be much more consistent that's that's been the story of the season to this point and they can figure out a way to be consistent that's going to still um really help them going forward and trying to get the goals um, where they want to be, which is they they want to get back to that American Athletic Championship game, and obviously this time they want to come out victorious. Yeah, and could I add one thing to your point, Andy? Yeah, um, go ahead. I I just think like the bye week probably couldn't have come at a more perfect week because yeah. obviously with injuries and stuff it gives you some time to heal up. But now going into it, going over the assessments, now you can focus more on what you did good rather than the bad. Because if you're going into it with uh you know three straight losses, 0-2 in conference play, there's not a good taste in your mouth. Now you got something positive that you can focus on. Obviously, there's things to clean up, but you can build on the good rather than trying to, you know, just show the bad all the time. Um, and that's per- that's just what this team needs um, as, you know, they hit that reset button and um, prepare for the second half of the season. Yeah, I agree with James 100%. That's a great, great point because now – you can build on this. You can go, like, see, if we do this consistently, this is what we can be. That's a really, really, really good point, James. I, and I agree. I think it comes at a great point. I think um, another play that's sticking out to me to what we haven't mentioned was the strip um, from Owens um, when they yeah. – the receiver downfield and he stripped and was able to recover. That was such a big play. The defense just has so much big plays. And Owens, he really, really sticks out to me. I think he has a ton of potential to play potentially at the next level. He really pops. He doesn't miss tackles. He's always good in coverage. He met, he makes a lot of plays. But, um, yeah, that's a great point, James. I, I think that that is a big key to having some positivity going into the bye week. And because you did, they lose this game with the way that it looked for the most of that game, it'll be – a lot of talk about the quarterbacks, the coaches, a lot of things in question. So uh, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, you could be positive. That's, that's an amazing point, James, that like going into the bye week, you could be – you could have either been one and five or five and one. But then, I mean, at least now you're looking at it like, hey, we're not one and five. We're, we're a 500 team, and we can keep winning and building from here. So – and definitely like it, recovering from injury is going to be big. De- Tank Dell – He's a monster. Like he was holding his hip throughout the like most of the fourth quarter, um, and he took some shots. I just want to make yeah, one more point. About, shots. Yeah, just one yeah. more point about Clay and Tune. Like although he played better, uh, definitely in the fourth quarter, he's still not giving his receiver. He's he's kind of leading the receivers into the defenders to where they mm-hmm. they're taking some big hits, and it's big hits. and like as like a. If you're a wide receiver, you 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 can't. You, there's only so many of those hits you could take. So, like props to Tank Dell and all the other receivers for you know toughening it out. But you know that that's another thing. Like Clint Tune, he's gonna have to think about or continue to work on is that accuracy, 
and not missing guys like that interception at the beginning of the game early in the game was not it. Man, I will say Sam Brown looks a, a bit more explosive than Manjack. Just to comparing the two, Manjack seems to have sure hands, but I think Brown looks a little bit more explosive. He made some good, got some good yak yards, yards after catch. And I think they have a lot of confidence in him. They singled him up a lot and went to him a couple times in the end zone with fade routes. And then Keyshawn Carter, man, just keeping his head down, being ready when his number is called, and he has two big touchdowns. I mean, you can't say enough about the skill position and them just being ready. When they got an opportunity, they made plays. And that's what I expected from them to do, to have to get more opportunities, more accuracy um, from the quarterback. But the skill position players – um, tight ends and wide receivers, they all showed up today. <laughs> Funny comment by Joe Mendes. They need to hop on that plane tonight. Dana and company don't need to get caught on Beale Street partying. Um, that, that's a great point. Real quickly, I want to take a look at some of uh, interesting things that I've seen from social media just in terms of this game. Um, this is from our friends at the Scott and Hallman podcast. Call the ambulance, but not for me. With the Clayton Toon uh, cut up into the meme. That's a good. That's that made me chuckle. While I was strong scrolling through the internet. Um, look, we'll be taking this now from Memphis, and they have the the Memphis Pyramid, Bath Pro Shops Pyramid, in the middle of downtown Houston, and then obviously a supporter of the show, Coop Sauce. Can't wait for after the show. He's been a good supporter of the show and been active on social media. So thanks to those guys for being able to, to keep us entertained overall just with the show and, and being able to be active on social media following Houston's 33-32 to 32 win against Memphis and a probable win against Memphis. Now, turning back, I want to focus on the defense a little bit real quickly. Um, and you kind of mentioned it, how they were able to keep Houston in the game. Uh, after that first quarter, there was a lot of bend but don't break overall when you look at the stats. They had, as a team, they had four sacks. They had 11 tackles for loss against Memphis. I think uh, Nelson Caesar had a couple of great plays, um, particularly in the middle of that game. Um, he ended up with a sack. He had two and a half tackles for loss. Uh, Anthony Jones stepped in, had a couple, had one sack as well. And then, Dan, you mentioned it, the, the stripped uh, fumble by Javarius Owens. And Owens, he was a player that, that – I mean, he was kind of day-to-day leading up to the game. He'd missed last week against Tulane, so that was a big difference in the secondary. And on the topic of the secondary, this is a report from the Houston Chronicle. Um, cornerback Alex Hogan appears to have suffered a, a season-ending leg injury, and they're waiting for tests to confirm. Once again, that Joseph Duarte of the Houston Chronicle that's reporting that. Um, tough to hear, and hopefully um, if if it is serious, that he can uh, for a speedy recovery, and hopefully it's not as serious. Um, they're still pending on tests to confirm that, but again, that's defensive back Alex Hogan who appears to have suffered a season-ending leg injury um, for Houston in their season. Brutal to hear. But just overall from the defense, we, we kind of touched on how they were able to keep Houston in the game, but I think Kind of like that play that you mentioned of Javarius Owens where that was off a big play that Memphis had converted. I think it was like a 20-yard play that, that the receiver was in the midst of. And then that strip sack, even though Houston wasn't able to convert that into points, at the very least, it stopped Memphis from putting up more points on the scoreboard. And that in and of itself was huge. And a couple of the sacks, I know, will take the good with the bad because there was some bad from the defense in this game, particularly when it came to third and long conversions by the Memphis uh, Tigers. And, and I need to double-check this stat, but... That's my check. I think Memphis was 
they were three of five on third and long. So if they attribute third and long to everything that's nine or over, they were three and five on third and long. So Tigers were, which that was a point of weakness for this defense. But overall, they were able to, to again, kind of praise upside. They bended, but they didn't break. Yeah, just like the offense, uh, the the defense, the way they play is like they they make plays in spurts, and it, it's that's the problem with I guess the overall problem with the team is the consistency. Like you'll see plays where two three drives in a row defensively they get stops or they make plays, huge plays, interceptions, fumbles, what have you. But then then you'll go basically you you'll see what exactly transpired in like the third quarter and at the beginning of the fourth quarter where they scored. I think they scored a touchdown or two two touchdowns, I believe. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if they can just become more consistent, just like and this is the same for special teams and and offense, the consistency needs to be there. They got to start games better. If you start games better and you're more consistent, it's not like you're gonna stop every every drive. You're gonna stop a score like that's not really expected. But if they can just string three four drives in a row together where they hold the hold the offense, you know, scoreless, then that can change a lot of things. Yeah, just when you thought uh, when Memphis was going to bury Houston, uh, they had a lot of chances too, and uh, especially on third and long, those big plays when they're driving down the field. And credit to the defense, they made those big stops and able to hold Memphis to fill goals and led to opportunities for the offense and then eventually the big onside kick, which led to the win. Yeah, for sure. That first onside kick at seven minutes, you know, Memphis gets the ball basically at the 50 or so, and they're in prime position um, to, you know, it, they get a quick first down. It looks like they're going to march down there and score a touchdown, and then that probably would have been the nail in the coffin. Um, but, you know, the defense hold the defense held strong, and so even those small little victories are, are big for this defense, and they can take those – just you know into the future and look for ways where they can just you know like Akib was saying with you know the consistency can you know repeat that um throughout the game not just you know in different spurts damn is there anything else you're gonna add just in terms of defensive performance overall uh, yeah, I, I think um, consistently getting off the field more. I, I do think they leave more drives on the field in which they can get off the field more. I definitely agree with that point. I think a few times that they allow Memphis quarterback to get out of the pocket and scramble and convert first downs in which they almost had for sacks. But I think I think the defense, again, they play well enough to win and they finally kind of closed out the game. We've seen them give up. I know it's a little time, but we've seen them blow stuff with a um, short time. And so, I mean, I, I just want to give them credit for, for continue to fight. Um, Latrell Banks, they made a few plays in this game. I want to make sure I say his name, give him some credit. He made some plays. Um, Jace Rogers made some plays defensively, some, some key tackles. I know Donovan Mutant missed the interception, which I'm sure he's mad that he, he probably should have caught that. But um, I think overall the defense. I mean, they play well enough to win. I think they could play more, can play more consistently, and stifling team is more to get the ball back to the offense even more, in which they just have to convert offense. Yeah, real real quickly, there's a stat um, that Houston's 
PR, not their PR, but their um, statisticians just posted on Twitter, and that's that this 19-point victory um, by the Houston Cougars, and it's actually Houston Athletics Communication of PR. Um, a couple of guys are going to kill me, but they heard me say PR. But regardless, uh, the 19-point victory in the fourth quarter against Memphis um, is the second comeback. It is ranked as the second comeback win of 19 points in the fourth quarter against Memphis in school history. Houston showed 34 to 14. 20-point deficit with 14.52 left in the fourth quarter on November 14, 2015 um, in Houston before they took the 35-34 to 34 win over UTEP. Or not over UTEP. That was the largest. Okay, I'm confusing with these guys. So Houston football's 19-point victory at Memphis is tied for the fifth largest in program history. 19 points against UTEP was going back to November 22, 2018. And then the other one, which was a 20 20-point deficit, I guess one of that might be the um, the largest in program history um, right there. But just overall, so we've talked about the offense. We've talked about the defense. I think we still got to go back um, to the first half, and we've talked a lot about the good, but uh, particularly in the offense. But there were three quarters down, like you mentioned, where Houston was held to seven points um, for most of the game. And in particular, the, the – the two headache drives that came down at the end of the first half and then also um, following that that strip sucks at Javarius Owens where they were once again within the five and they came away with zero points. Uh, we talked about the, the botch kicks, but what about the, the second drive when they were at third and goal from the one-yard line? They tried to do a QB sneak with Clayton Toon. They failed to convert, and then on fourth down, they went with Brandon Campbell, and the offensive line was unable to create a push, and they got stuffed, and, and Push back um, and turned it over on downs inside Memphis's own one yard line. That had to be brutal. Um, just overall takeaways from from that struggle, especially inside the five. You'd expect to at least be able to come away, uh, even if you can't come away with touchdowns. At least come away with some points, and they didn't in both of those tries. Yeah, I've noticed that anytime um, a run is expected, and like sometimes the opposing defense is gonna expect a run but you still should be able to come away with three, four, five yards. And it just felt like – it just feels like this season, especially like, yeah, throughout the six games or so, anytime we're running the ball with, you know, short yardage to obtain, like – and we know the UH offense is going to run that ball. It just feels like the defense knows it, but at the same time, there's nothing that UH can do to get, you know, even past the line of scrimmage sometimes. So I don't know if – that's something that y'all have noticed, or especially if they, if if you know that we're going to run the ball. No, that's something that Dana Hogerson's mentioned in the past, um, just in terms of the offensive line being unable to to create a push up front. And it's certainly been a season long struggle, but I think in this situation, particularly, it really came back, especially on that that go to go situation from within the one yard line. That's really where came back to bite the Cougars because they, they were not able to create a single push, especially when you get down there. You're so close, um, especially to the way they tried to score just to be able to punch it in, and that's really when bully ball comes in and down. There's something you've mentioned in our PSJ uh, Potsdam and Jamma podcast episode where um, at the end of the day it's a battle of in the trenches, and the offensive line for Houston uh, more often than not this season has struggled to be able to, to create that push up against opposing defensive lines. Yeah, I, if I could add on to that, one thing, like, other than Brandon Campbell's 34-yard run, 
today, Houston's best running play wasn't designed running plays. It was Clayton Toon scrambling, creating something out of nothing. Um, and so, like, those aren't even often – you can't even put that, like, those yards on the offensive line because it's more tune, you know, avoiding sacks, making something out of nothing. So when that's your best running play, that shows that there definitely needs to be some changes um, in term or improvements, I guess, in terms of, you know, getting that push up front because, you know, like you were talking about, you know, they had the ball at the one-yard line, third and one uh, – yeah, sneaks can't get in Campbell can't get in like you should be able to get one yard and two tries with those with those guys um you can't rely on you know tune to bail you out with some crazy play with his legs to be your entire run game yeah you gotta be you gotta put it on the offensive line I mean but at the same time you have to give credit to Brandon Campbell because on that 30 plus yard run it was a either 31 or 41 where he broke through the line of scrimmage he was able to get outside and make something out of nothing and so um, I think the offensive line definitely, like you guys are saying, has to create more holes and give the running backs more opportunity to be more effective. And at the same time, maybe call different runs instead of trying to run right up the gut. <laughs> maybe go off tackle or different golden pistols, different runs that they can call. Maybe the, a, a read option, speed option, use Clayton's ability to get outside the pocket. But, I mean, you, you, you can't – I don't know if a winning recipe is Clayton throwing the ball 50-plus times going forward. I don't know if that's a, a recipe for, for victory. It worked tonight, and they'll get the credit. He'll get credit for the victory. But, um, but like you guys are saying, the offensive line has to create more holes for sure for the running game. You, have, you should be able to get one yard for, for sure. Even aside from that, like I haven't seen much – trickery or scheme in this offense like yeah it's just first second down maybe you try to you throw do a passing play maybe they'll have some trips right that's as crazy as it gets like which is like not what we were used to like last season we saw all sorts of you know types of looks offensively and then this season it just seems so predictable and you you see that from the opposing teams you saw that from kansas their trickery you saw that even from today from memphis through three quarters you know how how I guess like dynamic their offenses can be as opposed to, you know, Houston's offense. And that's like something, if we can bring that, you know, dynamic play make play calling back and the playmaking, then like, I think we'll be just fine for the rest of the season, but we got to see that. Justin, you got anything to add before we move on? Yeah, definitely on the goal line situations. Like when you try to punch it in like twice and, unable to execute at least try to run at least try to go a quick slant up the middle or at least a play action get clean to running to the outside move the defense the other way and try to go to the receiver out there on the side of the end zone or something i mean at least got to mix it up a little bit in those situations because you know the offensive line's not creating holes i mean at least switch it up just a little bit yeah no you personnel and this point right here, I put it on the screen earlier. Our Chris Evans is back after last week. He he was he was a Clayton Tune believer from um, last week against Tulane. He said that they, I mean you see it right there. I stated before Clayton Tune equals goat. Um, and I, I put that comment on because I think it's an interesting point that you guys have brought up. Just in terms of it has seemed at times like play calling has been a lot more uh, vanilla, for the lack of a better phrase. And it, it would be interesting to see. Um, if they could get Clayton tuned in more, maybe more RPO situations where he's making reads um, 
and and just giving them more more uh, responsibilities at the line. That'd be interesting to see if they added more variety to it. Uh, but I think certainly, Dan, I agree with your point that Houston probably does not want to throwing the ball almost 60 times for the game. And like you mentioned, it's not going to be a recipe for success. Now, the problem has been they haven't been able to consistent, consistently be able to have a rushing attack that that's reliable um, overall. So that, that's been one of the biggest issues for this offense to, to really lack in terms of uh, versatility. They've lacked continuity and rhythm. Like one thing Andre Will kept pointing out was playing tunes um, inability. I don't want to say inability because he can't do it. He just wasn't going through progressions. He would go through, we'll look at one receiver, he's not open, then it would either check down or roll out or just do something instead of going through one, two, three, four, head moving across the scan in the field and actually looking like a fifth-year senior quarterback. But, I mean, I mean, let's just focus on the good. I mean, he played well, ended the game good. He made tough plays, a big run. I mean, it's great. Like James said earlier, it's good to go in the bye with good film, good positivity to build on. And so hopefully something needs to change offensively still. I don't think this don't need to be this is like fool's gold as far as it needs to be something changed because this offense, the way it's looked through the majority of games, isn't satisfying. It isn't gonna it isn't winning football. And if I if I may, Andy, I'll play devil devil's advocate just for a second because we've seen and then that inconsistency that Deion mentioned, like that's that also does attribute to Houston's lack of success, you know, running the ball because you have yeah, uh, Campbell, and then you also have uh, Snead running, and then you have Tejan Henry, and those three you've seen like these guys banged up for week to week. So it is kind of hard to get that rhythm, especially with running backs. Like it's a huge r- rhythm game, like. You look back to like Arian Foster and like the way he's played. He played, you know, in the past. He was like a rhythm type player, and he didn't have success earlier on in his career. But the more reps he got, the more amazing he was, you know, for the Texans. So just like rhythm is a big thing with these running backs, and like it's you see a lot of just the injuries, and that could also play to. I mean, I know I I kind of harped on the 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 dynamic play calling, the lack or the, the lack thereof. But I guess with the injuries, it's very tough to, like, have some trick plays in your bag because maybe you're teaching a, a wide receiver or a running back um, a new play that they haven't, uh, you know, been introduced to or practiced with. Well, we'll put a pin on it for right now. On that note, uh, Dan, like you mentioned it, uh, just a Houston-Memphis rivalry. It always seems like, especially football and, and men's basketball in particular, it always seems like there's just an extra buzz when Memphis and Houston meet. Uh, and it's a perfect segue because I did want to add this clip. This is a screenshot of the TV broadcast, and that was a sign by a Memphis fan that said, hey, Houston, the Big 12 wants to refund your money. Um, and that was something I, I caught it. That was after Houston had, I think they had just had to punt again um, at midfield. It looked like Clayton Tune was frustrated. Obviously, we know uh, kind of the setup behind the rivalry just in terms of Memphis. Um, I mean, for the lack of a better phrase, they're, they're salty that they're not going to the Big 12. Houston is. Um, but I agree with you, Dan. I think this is going to be a rivalry, especially um, – it, it always seems like these games come down to the very last play, regardless um, if it's on men's basketball, if it's football the last couple of seasons. 
there's always just something extra about when Houston and Memphis get together. Yep, and the states aren't far apart. You heard the broadcast team talking about how Memphis coaches and players was amped to play Houston, how they want to send Houston out of the conference with the L. And so, I mean, it definitely is a real rivalry between the two programs. Um, it's back and forth, basketball and football. I would love to see it continue once we go to the Big 12, football and basketball, especially in the non-conference um, it'd be a good game for Memphis. It'd be a good game for Houston in basketball and football. And so uh, Memphis is a good program overall. I think they're, they've been putting a lot of talent in the NFL, um, NBA, just like Houston as well. And so they're a good program. You got to give credit where it's due. They do put out talent. Yeah, I think the reason they didn't – I feel like the reason they didn't get that jump to like a Power 5 conference was like it could be partially because like the, with the scandal situation – with the with the men's program, I don't know if you guys have more insight to that, but they're definitely like a team. Memphis is a program, both basketball and football, that's like deserving of something like a power five move, much like, you know, Houston, Cincinnati and so on and so forth. I think it has to do with like the market size and stuff like that. Um, okay. But yeah, there's definitely like you said, they've definitely proven their worth in different sports. But uh, yeah, they, I mean, in terms of, I wouldn't say there's been a ton of rivalry since UH has been in the American, but Memphis seems like the closest to, you know, a true rivalry uh, game like Andy and everyone else was mentioning just with how many times these football games, men's basketball games have come down to, you know, the last second um, and just crazy things ha happening. And obviously you can see, you know, on social media and stuff, Memphis fans hate Houston and Houston fans hate Memphis. Um, they're going at it, going at each other. So I think, I mean, this would be the closest thing I, you could call a rivalry in the AAC and maybe, maybe, and hopefully we'll get to see a little more of it even when UH is in the big 12. Much better than a rice rivalry. It's not even a rivalry. <laughs> Memphis, we talked about UH. Memphis choked away this game though. <laughs> I mean, just like UH did last year to Texas Tech, this was like in the same ballpark. Memphis is just like gave this game away. Absolutely, and that's something that that we haven't touched on because uh, we've been looking at it from the Houston perspective, but Memphis allowed the onside kick. They allowed the 100-yard kickoff return touchdown. They allowed Houston to drive down the field and score a touchdown the drive before that. They were um, – I can't – they, they were held to a couple of three and outs early in the fourth quarter after they scored that, that first touchdown in the fourth quarter. Um, they were held to just a few field goals. And they, they really struggled. That, and that's a good, that's the other perspective of it, where I mean, the Tigers absolutely did choke on it when it comes to the game because they had that in hand. And, and that's that um, where there was over 100 teams um, had not lost when they were in a position in Memphis's was in today. And the Tigers, well, they choked it away. Uh, I mean, you can't say it any other way. And their quarterback, he really was just a game manager all game. He wasn't anything spectacular. He wasn't making spectacular throws. He did make a couple of good runs, but he wasn't anything just crazy like like what we've seen from Frank Harris and the plays that Tech quarterback made and Kansas quarterback. He wasn't anything like that. So, I mean, I just kept – I didn't think – that Houston would come back and win, but I thought like 
it's chances for them too because they aren't making Memphis isn't just making crazy play after play after play. It's not like we're not stopping them. And so, I mean, for the offense to finally come alive, it's just like about time. Thank you. That's how I felt anyway. And going back to the quarterback play, let's be honest, the best throw of the night came from, Ga- or I think Gabriel Rogers is his name, the Memphis yeah. Rogers. Yes. That, was like, that was a heck of a throw. We need to acknowledge a heck that. Of a throw. Yes, that, it was. I mean, a receiver putting that on a dime, obviously, uh, you know. On the run, too. Yeah. just That was crazy. That was crazy. I still can't believe he made that throw, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a perfect dart. Yeah, I mean, he put that right on the money. Um, and real quickly, because we're, we're pending uh, – we're about to hear from Dana Holgerson pending a, a few minutes, but I did want to point this shout-out that Norberto and, and Juan Miranda had pointed out. Um, and I don't want to say away too much from it because this is a post-game show on the football team, but do, we do need to shout-out the volleyball team that they just picked up uh, – James, correct me if I'm wrong. They just picked up their 14th win of the season um, yeah. to improve to 14-2. and two. And they just beat a previously undefeated ranked UCF team that entered the Fertitta Center 23 in the country in a, in a, one of the polls for volleyball. And when you look at the volleyball team, they beat them in four sets. And they've only lost two games, one of which came against number one, Texas. So, obviously, a big shout-out to the volleyball team. And really a shout-out to Coach David Rare that has really turned around that program. Um, and since he's been here in the span of three years, three seasons, I believe, going back to 2019. So it's always good when you see a lot of the programs across the University of Houston thrive. Um, but another comment by Gary, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to butcher your last name. So Gary, he said, so maybe a fourth and 20 choke wasn't so bad. Uh, no, it's still too soon. It's still too soon to mention it. Um, and that just goes back to the frustration of the season where, uh, that that was one of the early turning points of the season. Now, I guess if you break down the season from bye weeks, that's going to be a play that haunts uh, Houston for the for the foreseeable future. Um, because if they they get that stop, they're sitting at three and zero heading into that Kansas game, or two and zero heading into the Kansas game. And it potentially, could be a much different story of this season um, if they can get that stop. But um, any other takeaways that you guys wanted to add as we? Um, as we're about to hear from Holgerson. We'll go around the table. Justin, I can you guys have anything to add? Yeah, I think after the bye week, the schedule kind of gets pretty soft for Houston. You got a one and three Navy, you got a one and four South Florida, and uh, you got an SMU team that's two and three, and uh, they're pulling a 2019 U of H. They got a lot of guys that are potentially sitting out to, to redshirt and potentially transfer. So pretty much uh, winnable games, the next three matchups, and even against uh, Temple about four weeks away after the bye. Yeah, and that, that's something that, that we had mentioned um, heading into the season. Um, I don't think anyone envisioned Kansas to be on the tear that they have been um, to start the football season, but um, yeah, that's a bring. That's a great point that you bring up, Justin. You know, they they open the second half of the season for for or at least after the bye at Navy. Um, I know Navy's one and two in conference play. Uh, they're not. We know what they're gonna, and it's not gonna be a gimme win because Houston has struggled against teams. Um, 
I think Kansas is on a whole another level than Navy, but I mean, you know that they're going to have the triple option offense that they'd always, depending on the year, is going to give Houston fits and problems, and they have to play South Florida. I think the biggest game remaining for Houston, at least when it comes to the regular season, is November 5 at SMU. That's probably the toughest, at least on paper, um, remaining. But then Temple, East Carolina, and Tulsa to close out the regular season. So you make you make up a great point. And again, it just goes back to the importance of this game against Memphis that um, they were able to pick up a good win because if had they fallen 0-2 in conference play, even though they have those six games remaining in against American Athletic Conference opponents, it would have certainly been – um, really difficult to even if they went out to get out the hole because uh, Memphis would have been three and zero in conference play. Cincinnati seems like they haven't missed a beat, even though they've lost all the starter, all the key pieces from last season's team. And that's just a testament to Luke Fickle and what he's been able to do at Cincinnati. But it certainly seems like the Bearcats are are towards the top. And then obviously, of course, you also have UCF. So it, it would have probably been a, a insurmountable hold, to be honest, had they fallen uh, to Memphis in this game. Yeah, I think we should at least finish, like like you mentioned those games, Andy. I don't, aside from SMU and SMU right now, they're not really playing, you know, terribly well. I guess, yeah, no, they're, yeah, they're um, two and three right now. So even that team, it's not going to be easy. None of the games are going to be easy. I don't, I don't look forward to some of these games. I feel like a lot of them are going to be nail biters, but at the same time, like UH could easily go, uh, what six and zero the rest of the season, but then they can also go like three and three, or you know two and four, or four and two. So it's kind of crazy, like that we're at this point. But you know, you, you still can come up with potentially like if something goes down with like Cincinnati, if they lose a game or two like you could still look at the Cougs and think like you know you could still possibly make a you know conference championship it's still very possible like the games the teams that we play are not as good as Kansas who we play they're not as good as Memphis um I, some of them are not even as good as like UTSA who we already beat you know so I I, I just want to put that out there for sure like it, you could still look forward to the season there's still a lot of games left Down, James. Is there anything else you guys would like to add, just in terms of where the program is? And and I could you make up a great point, and they end up being six and six the way things have gone the first six games. Uh, that would be a, a very fitting record, at least how things have gone so far. But again, they've put themselves in position to to really bounce back and put that tough start in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I mean, I would just add like what y'all been saying. I think a conference championship playing in one. I don't think hosting one's really a reality now because you got three losses. And if you tie with someone, it comes down to your non-conference record. But playing in one is still a very real possibility, which is kind of crazy to say because I don't think any of us thought that going into this game and especially, you know, going into the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, Cincinnati will probably end up, you know, with the best record. But if Tulane slips up a couple of times, you're right in there. Um and so, yeah, UH, uh, they have the schedule that obviously they got to take each opponent seriously, but they have this, their schedule sets up nicely over the second half um, where if they are going to make a run, they got the right teams they're playing against to do it. It seems that way. I agree. But I thought the schedule uh, was nice to, to have a good season. <laughs> Oh, for nah, sure. I, mean, <laughs> nah, I agree. I agree. I'm just, I'm just saying. But um, 
man, this just really the way the season went. I think it really highlights to me how hard it is to win a game. You hear Kevin Sampson saying a lot, and, and I, I think it really sticks out to me this year how hard it is to win one game. It it seems favorable, but like um, I can just say it. I mean, you can go three and three, you can go four and two, you can go six and zero, oh, and none of it will surprise you. And so I think each game is going to be a, a, a fight. We could have easily been a one and five. <laughs> like, thank you. We could I be know. one and five right now. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's something that Hogerson acknowledged uh, during one of his radio shows leading up to the week. Because um, on Monday, he used the, the counter argument where they could be four and one. Uh, but he could, I mean, he acknowledged that they could easily be 0 and 5. And, and this one against Memphis didn't come uh, easy whatsoever. It was, it was a good comeback, but it, Came down to the last possession. It was a improbable comeback. But on that note, I want to do give one final shout out to Hoopenhaller, um, the Houston Sports Micro Collective. Uh, like I mentioned before, when we saw the Big Hawk commercial, they are the entity behind the Star Pizza commercial. Um, you saw the Big Hawk one today, but obviously they, we've seen the, the DeAnthony Jones and Sack Avenue commercial they've had in the past. Um, I'm sure they're going to have more commercials soon, upcoming with um, the men's basketball season right around the corner. And on that note, we'll give them special thanks for being one of the sponsors of this Let's Rage Cougs show. And I take this opportunity for anyone listening there. If you have a business that you want to sponsor it with a lot of Houston Cougar fans that are watching, um, the audience keeps growing and growing each week. And if you're going to do this for the men's basketball season as well, um, we'll have more packages starting soon. We do have primary sponsorship for that first, the first five men's basketball games of the season. But after that, it lets up and obviously – we always have spots like you see Hoop and Honda there for banner spots. If you have their own commercials, you want to do live reads or anything like that. We're here to do business to quote the new commissioner of the Big 12, Brett Yarmark. So feel free to reach us out at letsragecoops at gmail.com. And on that note, we will hear from head coach Dana Overson and what he had to say following Houston's improbable 33-32 to win against the Memphis Tigers. You can't... Uh... Uh, you know, getting crazy, you know, getting right? crazy, right? Man, I don't know what man, to say, man. Just I mean, I'm just so proud of our coaches and players. I've never been around a group that's 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 resilient. You know, obviously, we're sitting here at three and three with three with you know. You know, every game every was like game that. Was like I mean, that. obviously, there had to be some pretty unbelievable, pretty unbelievable individual, individual plays, plays out there, out there. Um, um, to be able to get us in that position, that position, you know, towards, you the, know, end towards the, end the end of the game. Um, I'm um, sure a lot of people sure turned, lot of people it, turned off, it off, uh, but uh, our guys just keep playing. You know, they were resilient after last week you know, losing the way that we did last week. You know, a lot of noise, deservingly so. Our guys blocked it out and just practiced their bet off and uh, came into this game and once again it's the same it's the same thing I mean we're down 10 ball's not bouncing our way we get the ball on the turnover in the third quarter get it down to the two inch line it can't punch it in you know off the heels of you know missing a chip shot field goal you know to get points and <laughs> giving up plays on defense um and then just at the end, just making it making it work, man. It, it, it obviously feels very good to be on this side of it. And is it an overstatement to say that this is the type of win that you know you go into a bye week that can certainly maybe turn things around? Yeah, 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 JD. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this thing was going to go one way or another after this game. You know, next week was about to be challenging. You know, sitting at two and four with you know, you know, regardless of what the score was or 
or whatever. It was going to be challenging. There's no doubt about it. We were going to have to reassess a lot of things, you know. And now we got momentum, you know. And, and I mean, six games where it comes down to the last play. I mean, I'm exhausted. Our coaches are exhausted. Our our players are banged up. We had more guys go down with injuries today. That is unfortunately probably going to be some season-ending stuff for some starters. Um, just it's one thing after another, you know. And so <laughs> it's about to get challenging. But now we can go into that bye week with some momentum. Um, you know, we're one and one in the conference and we're live, uh, you know, and hopefully we can uh, continue to build on this. Chase's kickoff return there, I don't think he had been back there all year. Right? He has not. Is that Was that just? Well, Golden part? went out with the back. You know, I, what's the severity of it? I don't know. You know, we're down people back there and, um, Jace was the next one in, you know, and we planned on that all week. If something happened, either Golden or Peyton, then Jace was the next guy in. Uh, you know, I, I, he's I, he can he, he's a decent returner. He did it in JUCO. He did it in high school. Um, I've always worried about the ball security aspect of it. And you look at that run; he almost dropped the ball out there in the in the open field. But uh, you know, he came to the sidelines and he said, "I told you so. You believe in me now?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. And it's my bad. I should have had you back there." Before, uh, Jace is a good kid, competitor, uh, one of the fiercest competitors that, that we got. And for him to spark us right there, yeah, good for him, man. Finley, you went to, uh, you know, you, you looked at the tank a lot tonight, but late, did you, was it something with Keyshawn that you saw or like with Clayton that y'all wanted to get him? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you know, we, we just based on what they did, they were starting to drop a lot of people, so we needed to get in some 10 personnel. You know, we didn't have a big plan with 10 personnel. You know, 11 and 12 is kind of what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> you know, we're thin at receiver. Um, and and But we, we did it before the half, and we marched it all the way down there in 10, so we talked about it at halftime. And, you know, Keyshawn's a guy that we need to, we need to get the ball to. You know, he's a good player, and he's been – he, you know, he's been struggling a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, he's done a great job of hanging in there. We know he can make plays. So getting into 10 personnel was, was more scheme and getting him on the field as well. So once again, that was head coach Dana Horgerson for Houston. And um, that video was courtesy of the University of Houston Athletics. Um, you heard Houston Chronicle reporter. Joseph Duarte in the background there, but a couple of things that Dana Horston mentioned there. I, I mean, he said to himself just how big this win was for Houston um, and really uh, a win that they needed heading into their bye week that had they lost that game, it, it would have put a very, very different mood of just the season overall, um, especially where the program was following that loss to Tulane. Yeah, you would have had to stew on it for a long time because um, you got the bye week and Obviously, there last last week after the loss to Tulane, you could sense the frustration from the players. Donovan Mutant flat out stated, you know, how frustrated they were. So to you know have that yeah. stew for another week and just you know, like you mentioned earlier in the show, Andy, five out of six games to come down to the last possession to lose. If you would have lost this game, losing four of those five, like that's just tough. And um, there's no quick fix, and you can't get that out of your mind. So to have have the uh, flip or to flip the switch a little bit and you know have the ball bounce their way that's just huge um just for the mindset um going into this bye week yep. I just noticed it was cool to see uh, Jace Rogers you know tell coach 
Like, do you believe in me now? Like, that's those are <laughs> that's stuff that it, t- it does take guts to just tell off a coach um, uh, that you know you you need to believe in me more. And and he and Hogerson agreed. He didn't just you know put his head down or whatever. So that's cool to see. Yeah, I was just gonna say as Hogerson was talking, it was just making me think about the point that James made how. Uh, perfect timing to get this win going into the bye because he talked about um, the much needed chatter or much deserved chatter around the program and, and different challenges that they would have been faced with as the momentum wouldn't have been on their side. And so you get this win going into the bye week. Now you can rest up a little bit, um, focus on some of the good, highlight a lot of the bad, and, and still harp on the possibility of reaching your your goal of a conference championship staying alive. Justin, anything else you that, that stood out to you from Horgerson's clip? Yeah, supposed to have players get the rest up going into the bye week and freshen up for the next half of the season. And uh, and fortunately, said that some players went down, and I guess we'll have some more news on that. And then, uh, Andy, you, re- you retweeted earlier about uh, potentially losing Alex Hogan for the season. That's actually a big loss. So it's just going to be a probably a next man up mentality going into the second half. Just like he said with Chase Rogers, just putting him in there and able to go 100 yards for the kickoff return. And that's something that's been the story of the season for Houston um, early on, um, having to face a ton of injuries. I mean, even going back to spring, and that's something that's kind of been lost, um, especially in that running back and running backs group. Uh, They they lost Austin McCaskill in the spring um, to the ACL injury. I believe that's that's the knee injury he suffered in the spring. Um, He was going to be your running back one heading into the season, and they would have had a lot more depth with Brandon Campbell, Tajon Henry, Stacey Sneed. Um, running back McCaskill, that would have been uh, a big boost to the Houston offense. But then even into this season, Derek Parrish, um, who honestly was on pace to have a really, really good season for Houston. And I think it was the Anthony Jones who said he, he's one of the best players that he's seen at Houston. That's counting Peyton Turner, Ogan Hall, guys like that, which is high praise from, from Jones. But overall, um, that that's exactly right, Justin. That next man up mentality. I think Houston's at a point where they're used to it. Um, and and Akib, I agree with you. The thing that stood out to me was that that quote there where he said about Chase Rogers. Um, but you like to see it because again, what that shows that shows that level of commitment. In my opinion, that shows that level of commitment from the team. That um, one, they want to show that they that they can make plays on their own, um, and they're. One, from an athlete standpoint, they're obviously going to be really confident in themselves. But two, I think that just shows their commitment overall to kind of what Tank Dell said during the week, um, winning. And that's really what matters. And he was able to make a big play for Houston that there was a shot in the arm for the Cougars and really um, helped in that rally. You know what it also could be about? We, we know our players have heard the chatter about Hogerson talk about not having the talent as far as Big 12 talent or good enough talent to, quote-unquote, win at a championship level. And that could be some of that coming from that and coming from quotes like that as well. That goes back to exactly what you said, Deion, earlier about, like, pride. Like, they've they've been hearing so many things, especially from their own head coach. And, like, to me, I'm thinking, like, this whole game, the reason why they didn't give up or quit is they they were trying to prove to the coaching staff Mm-hmm. To say, you know, we're not sorry. We're, you know, we're, we, we almost, we had one loss uh, throughout like all of last season during the regular season. 
So I think they had they had some things to prove, and they kind of showed it that they're capable of like because we could still easily be like five and one right now. Maybe have a loss to Kansas because Kansas played so well, but that could easily be the case right now if you just clean up some things. James, any thoughts to to that quote that Hoverson said about Jace Rogers? No, I mean, I think y'all hit on most of the main points. And, um, you know, it's good for – I mean, it's got to feel good for a guy like Jace to – you can talk all you want, but to actually go out there and put it on the field. um, And especially you mentioned earlier in the show how he was the one on Memphis's first drive that that committed that uh, pass interference – penalty which extended it and led to their first touchdown of the game so to come back and just you know give them a spark like that and on your first time you know first opportunity of the season um crib it i mean it was huge and <laughs> i mean I, when i saw that i was looking for flags because you know <laughs> no twice. flags so, i was flags. looking for it too james yeah, <laughs> i was like there's got to be some flags that's, that's just the uh story but you know to have a clean play like that, just huge. Absolutely. And, and guys, this is a milestone on the 3H Coops. This is the first show that has lasted two days because we are officially on Saturday, October 8th. It is midnight on the central time zone. Um, and I did want to shout out UH Coops fan uh, for his $10 contribution to this show, um, adding to Juan Miranda and Ben Mora. Uh, we thank you guys because that – Support helps us keep going and continue to do this post-game show. And like I mentioned uh, before that Hogerson clip, we're not going anywhere. It's just a start. Um, we still have uh, the remaining six regular season games for the po- football team. And obviously, we still have the men's basketball season, highly anticipated men's basketball season, coming right up. So we're not going anywhere. We're, let's reach Coops, the unofficial post-game show of UH football and men's basketball um, for the foreseeable future. And who knows if we continue to grow how big it can expand um one final thing i want to touch on before we kind of wrap things up and that's really what um gary just brought up love him or i think he was love some christian trahan um and again we kind of mentioned at the top but he has been uh it's been very obvious that he's become a focal point for houston the past two games and he didn't necessarily come away with the receptions in last week's game much different story this game and and just he adds a different element for Houston. And even in a couple of the, the goal-to-goal situations where we saw they, they would just jump it, dump it down at him. And, I mean, he gives the, the ability for the offense for him to be able to break a couple of plays and go down the field and, and make bigger plays. For real, man. Much love to him. His ability to run after a catch uh, really was a difference maker today. He showed great hands. He's a really a three-down tight end. He can block. He can catch. Good after catch. Um, I mean, he he had a, a really big game and a huge impact on this game. We definitely – he needs the ball more. He needs to be a focal point of the offense. Yeah. And, I mean, one thing, a couple – I think it was after the Rice game, Dana talked about just how he'd been battling some unspecified injuries and stuff, and he'd been limited in practice. So, you know, I think this, the sign that they're getting him more involved, um, you know, these past two weeks – is a positive trend in where, you know, he's at that health level where they expect him. And now, like y'all have all mentioned, you know, they've, they've designed plays to get him involved, which we did not see over the first three, four weeks of the season. Um, the only thing, you know, you noticed about Trahan was the coin toss. 
uh, over those few <laughs> weeks. Uh, of course, today his streak, uh, eight no streak, came to an end. Um, still incredible streak. I've never seen anyone, you know, go eight you no know, on the coin toss. But um, you know, to to get him, th- this was a major confidence boost too, because you know, last week they gave him opportunities, he came up short to make some of these huge catches, and to for him to be the one. It won't, you know, show up on the stat sheet major, but to be the one that recovers that onside kick, like that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and uh, he's, uh, he's been big. Uh, yeah, I just want to say, like, like today he had, I think, seventy-three yards mm-hmm. receiving, I believe, and then all, th- I guess, the other three previous games that he got to play in, he only had forty-five yards receiving, so he totaled more than what he had during the, you know whatever however much of the season he played so it's like that's a big sign and i think the team's just also better in general when we when you can get the ball to him and also of course tank Dell. absolutely and i think the the only thing i was going to add is you mentioned that coin toss change that something certainly early on it, it kind of it's what he became known for but i'm sure trey Hannon and the rest of the team will take um They'll take losing a coin toss compared to the win any day of the week. Um, and that just goes to show, um, again, just going back to resilience of the team, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this game. Justin, I'm going to toss it over to you. Any final thoughts on Houston's win over um, Memphis? Once again, the final score, 33-32. to 32. Houston, a much-needed win. Uh, improves to 3-3 three and three and 1-1 one and one against the American Athletic Conference. Memphis drops to 4-2, and two, and they are still 2-1. and one against American Athletic Conference opponents. Yeah, man, it's just, a, it's just a big win to get off their backs. I mean, they struggled the last few weeks and uh, just overall bad offensive play against Tulane and then just three quarters here against Memphis and then finally get some ref- receivers open in the field, kind of spread out the field, make some plays. I mean, it was really a big win going into the bye week, but really uh, my goal for the next week next half of the season, four quarters of uh, good football. Because I said uh, last year uh, after the Texas Tech loss at NRG Stadium, they were really under Hogerson. They've been a one-half team, and this season uh, they've been just a one-quarter team. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That's something I hadn't thought of. Um, That's certainly been a theme overall, even just thinking back to 2019 when they would have really good – halves whether it's the first half or second half um but they haven't been able to put together complete performances it seemed like that's something that they were heading in the right direction in 2021 and then once again this season it's been uh much more difficult uh Akib, i'll toss it over to you any final thoughts on houston's 33 to 32 win no i just i'm just happy that we came out with the win because like like james mentioned earlier with the bye week had we gone into the bye week with a two and four record that just has like a nasty taste in your mouth, like as opposed to being three and three. You, you, you can think now like, okay, we're five, we're we're at five hundred, and we can continue growing from there. Absolutely, and most importantly, that uh, they avoid falling zero two against American Athletic Conference foes. And this game, a big game that they they wanted and needed to take, especially like we mentioned against big uh, rivalry opponent against Memphis. Uh, saw the sign we we put up the sign where there's a lot of animosity between the two fan bases, and it just feels good to be able to. It always feels good when Houston's able to come out on top against the Memphis Tigers. Dayon, I'm gonna toss it over to you. Any final thoughts on this game? Only thing I have to say is go Cougs, man. 
Go Cougs. That's it. I mean, that's the perfect note to end on. I'm going to thank every single one of you guys for being able to hop on. And I can't necessarily see the timer on it because it's blocked on the light I have. But it looks like we've had another 90-minute-plus show. I said the first show that extends two days. We're now 12, 10 in the morning on Saturday, October 8th. Thank you guys for hopping on. As always, uh, James, I'm going to toss it over to you. Where can people find you, sir? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. You can find me on Twitter at JDM2186, and then all my UH coverage is on thedailycougar.com. Justin, where can people find you? What's up, guys? I can find me at jbarbosa, PXP, go Cougs. Nakib, where can people find you and your work? You're muted, sir. My bad. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, y'all can find me at uh, and Twitter and Instagram at MMA. And Dayon, where can people find you? Like it's shown on the screen, you can find me on all social medias at Dayon Dunlap. Give me a follow. I might follow back. I don't know. And <laughs> get on the perfect teaser. Um, yeah, Juan Miranda, you said it right there um, in terms of the Memphis animosity. King Jaja with the rumors right there. Duke is playing Houston in men's basketball as well. Um, that was Jeff Goodman who reported it. And um, I can't confirm anything on, on the record, but um, that 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 would be a really good scrimmage for people to be able to see, but emphasize it is a scrimmage. If it does, it does happen. I guess we'll, we'll say that it's a report. Um, once again, the final score, Houston wins it 33 to 32 over Memphis and a probable win that saw Houston overcome a 19 point deficit. Um, like I mentioned, thank you guys for hopping on and being able to help host this show. For those of you guys watching on audio-only platforms, be sure to follow us on Instagram or TikTok. Let's Rage Coogs. That's E-L-T-S-R-E-G-E-C-O-O-G-S on those platforms, all over case, or you can follow us on Twitter at P-A-W-D-S-L-A-M-A-J-A-M-A. Also, be sure to follow the Podstime Pajama YouTube channel. We just hit 300 subscribers. We're on the road to 1,000, and we are looking to continue to, once we get to 1,000, we're really going to start cooking and your one-stop shop for all things Houston Cougars men's basketball, football, and women's basketball. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So thank you guys again. And we will leave off with this clip from the back out account. Big up for us. Never gave up. And there's Doug Bell, Dana Hoverson. I believe that is Brian Early with a win. Once again, let's win too. Thank you guys, everyone, for watching.